Well, this week, I, I keep finding more inspiring things to look at from the life of Moses, so I thought we'll just keep on going. And I wanted to look at a piece uh, of writing, the writing of Moses, um, that exists outside of the, the Pentateuch, the five book, first books of the Bible. And this is actually, it's the Psalm of Moses, it's, which is Psalm 90. It's the one psalm that's attributed uh, specifically to Moses. And I just wanted to look at, at some thoughts with you from that. It's the oldest psalm probably, right? Because Moses lived 3,500 years ago. And the theme that he gives is it's dealing with the brevity of life, the shortness of it. You know, Moses saw a generation that was delivered from Egypt, but they didn't really pay heed to the voice of the Lord. And, and almost at, in a stroke, they all perished in the wilderness. And he's comparing man to the grass, uh, which is here one day and quickly gone the next. And it contains some pretty significant statements. And, but the thing that strikes me the most from this psalm is it's really it's the perspective of the psalm and the perspective that Moses is trying to give. In fact, if I, if I could give it a title, this psalm, I, I would say it's the psalm of perspective because it's trying to get us to look to eternity. Moses is trying to get us to have a, an eternal perspective. You know, because it talks about God's point of view. Man's life is so short. We're not supposed to look at from the, the point of view of man, but instead of God, because that's, that's the eternity that we're about to pass into after our life on earth is done in a moment, although it takes you know, 70 or 80 years if, we, if we're strong, or even longer, but it's still just a moment, and then it's over. And so Moses is looking at this, and he's, it, it, there's, a, there's a kind of a lament to it too, because of course we we understand he's writing this at a time probably when he was leading Israel, and he's seeing so many who are not embracing this perspective, and they're just concerned about their life now, that brief moment. And and so he's lamenting many lives that are wasting the opportunity that God has given. And I think he considers that very sad and tragic. And so the cry of Moses is how much better is it to seek after wisdom and to endure hardship so that the beauty of the Lord can be seen upon us. Now we can split the psalm into two sections. The first part, verses 1 through 12, can I, I think we could call it a meditation on eternity because you know, he's trying to get us to look to eternity and what really matters. And then sections, the, the second section, which would be verses 13 through 17, could be entitled a prayer of hope. A hope that's fulfilled in God. And so let's start off here. Let's look in verse 1. So Psalm 90 and verse 1, and it's entitled, The Prayer of Moses. The man of God. I, I think that's significant. It's not just the psalm of Moses. It's the prayer of Moses. This was the cry of his heart. 
And it says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you formed the earth and the world, and even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And you turn man to destruction and say, return, you children of men. And so it's starting off as a, a, as a prayer. It's not just poetic statements, you know, but it's a cry that he and his people would enter into these truths. And, and the truth that he starts with is that God is our dwelling place. You know, that's, that's the end of the matter. And that's, well, that's really the whole story is if we make him our dwelling place, then we will fulfill our purpose here in life. And, and he points out that every generation has had an opportunity to make God their dwelling place, to find their refuge in God. You know, the one who formed the earth, who endures from everlasting to everlasting. And so this life is an opportunity to become joined and to, and to hide ourselves in the one who is everlasting. And we do that if we make him our dwelling place. Now, verse 3 brings out a, a significant piece of theology here because it says he turns man to destruction and then he says return. Now, if you're just taking it on his face, you could say, well, God's just, you know, messing with people, just, you know, putting them on a pathway to destruction and then pulling them back. And that's not the case. That's not the case at all. If that was the case, I don't think a whole generation would have perished. He would have made them enter into the land. But instead, he let them have a choice of which way to go. And, you know, what this is bringing out is the foreknowledge and the sovereignty of God is that nothing happens in life that is not known or controlled by him. But in that control and sovereignty is he's given man a choice and the power to choose our own way, our own destiny so to speak. God has an ordained destiny for us, but we can choose our own. And, and of, of course, when, when we're left to our own devices, invariably we choose the wrong way. We choose destruction because the enemy knows that if, the, if he just sprinkles some fun stuff along the way to destruction, we'll go right along that way. You know, if I don't, if I need to get my cat to go somewhere, I just sprinkle some cat treats along the way. And little does he know that there's the cat carrier to take him to the vet, but he can't resist those treats. But, you know, we have our choice. You know, Ezekiel talks about the nation of Israel in Ezekiel 20. And it's really speaking of this generation. It, it says, because they had not executed my judgments, but they despised my statutes, they polluted my Sabbaths, and their eyes were after their father's idols. Therefore, I gave them also statutes that were not good and judgments whereby they should not live. You know, Israel kept resisting God and all the good things he was giving them, they would push away and they would seek after their father's idols or really the idols of the nations around them. And they wanted to go the way of the nations around them. And you know what? God eventually said, okay, you can have it. He'll, he'll give you what, what you really keep asking for. And, and so what did he give them? Statutes that were not good. 
and things that wouldn't bring life to them. And this should really put the fear of the Lord in our hearts. You know, because, you know, we can be his people, we can walk in his ways, but if we allow other desires to creep in, other standards of, of right or wrong or, you know, other things come into our hearts and then we just keep going to God and saying, Lord, can I have this? Can I have this? Can I have this? Eventually he says, okay. Not without warnings, right? Not without admonitions. You know, th this is not a good way. You know, there's bad fruit along this pathway, but eventually he, he'll let us go. And so our prayer has to be, Lord, just only give me what's good. I might ask for things, but only give me what's good and what, what will lead me in your good way. But, you know, here's what I love about this statement with, with Moses. So at the same time, the Lord says, if you really want to go somewhere, I'll let you go, even if it's not a good way. But, you know, even at the same time, the cry from the heart of the everlasting one is, return unto me, O my children. I'm so grateful for that. That even if we, if we do get crazy for a minute and we embrace what is not good, the cry of our Father is, return, O you children. And we might need to go along a pathway of cleansing and repentance and, and getting things right. And sometimes we'll have to suffer for our sin, but the cry of our Heavenly Father is return, oh you children. You know, that's the, the true heart of a father. You know, someone is demanding to walk in their own way like the prodigal. And even as the father is giving them what they want, his cry is, oh, but maybe they'll return. He's hoping that they'll come to the end of themselves as the prodigal did. And then it goes on in Psalm 90. There's a lot here, so we can't linger too long. Psalm 90 verse 4 it says, for a thousand years are in your sight, are in thy sight, are but as yesterday when it is past and as a watch in the night. Thou carriest them away as a flood. They are as a sleep in the morning. They are like grass, which grows up in the morning. It flourishes. It grows up in the evening. It's cut down and it withers. And so, you know, Moses, we know he, he lived a pretty long life comparatively. And he, had, and he has understood the perspective of eternity, how short and how limited our opportunities are in this life to come to know God, right? Even though he lived to be 120, he was basically saying, our opportunities are so short. They're so limited. You know, we can be one thing in the morning and the evening, it's gone. The opportunity is gone. And so, you know, we see this from heaven's perspective. A thousand years is just like a, a watch in the night, which is basically, that's just a few hours, right? The watchmen, so, sometimes they could be assigned the whole night, but that, that wasn't very effective. A watchman, right, would usually just, they would be assigned a few hours of the night and they'd have to kind of hand off because the, if you were all night, you'd pretty much guaranteed to fall asleep. So the watch traditionally in an army, the watch of the night was, you know, one to three hours or something. And so even just this, it's like, that's even a shorter period than Peter talks about, right? Peter talks about one day with the Lord is a thousand years, but here it's even just 
Moses is saying it can be even shorter. It's just a watch in the night. But I find it interesting. The expression he uses, it's like a watchman, a watchman in the night. And it's almost like the Lord has been the watchman. And he, is, he has been waiting right through the night hours. And for him, I think it's been a couple watches. It's been at least 2,000 years that he's been waiting. He's, he's waiting for the dawning of a new day. And really, that's our expectation as a church. We recognize we're on the edge of a change of the age when Christ is returning. It's going to be the dawning of a new age, but it's also going to bring about things in the church that we're anticipating and hoping for. Right now, it seems like the darkest before the dawn. But the Lord is also waiting. He is the watchman. And he is waiting for the dawning of the new day when he can come as the sun, the S-U-N of righteousness. And he's going to come with power and healing in his wings. But there he is. He's the watchman waiting with us. But then that, that thought that all men are like grass. One minute they're flourishing and the next they can wither, they're cut down, or maybe the sun beats on them and they're just kind of shrivel up to nothing. Isaiah says something about this, Isaiah 40 and verse 7. It says, The grass withers, the flower fades, because the Spirit of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. In our flesh, we're like the grass. We might endure for a time. You know, and Moses even brings that out. If we're, you know, we got about 70 years, but if we're strong, we can push 80 and keep pushing. But, in the, but we're still like grass. And our days are limited and they're numbered. But what will endure forever? The Word of God and its effect in our lives. And so from our point of view, I mean, 80 years still seems like a long time to me. Right? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm halfway there. So, some, there are some here who have a different perspective. <laughs> right? But from, there's going to come a point when all of us are going to say, that was just the blink of an eye. It was so quick. It was short. But when you're in it, depending on where you're in it, it can just seem like we've got all the time in the world. But there's really, there is one thing that connects us to the eternal one. And that is the word of God. The word of God abides forever. It's going to stand forever. And in reality, that should be our whole goal is his word. The whole goal of our lives should be to walk according to his word, to align ourselves to the cornerstone, which is Christ, to hear his voice, to follow him, because the true opportunity of life is to follow the one who is the word of life, because that abides forever. And that those are precious, precious opportunities. But we have to have a change of perspective. 
as Moses is bringing out. You know, Israel had that opportunity in the wilderness. I mean, it's, it's hard to imagine the thought of having Moses as a leader. Moses as your leader, you know, the one, and he's, he's literally going into the presence of God. He's, he's seeing God's face. He's hearing God's voice. What an opportunity they had. But they just could not see it. They could only see with their eyes. They could only think with their natural mind. And they, they even had personally themselves. It wasn't just Moses they had the invitation. They were given the invitation as well to be a, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And he wanted his voice to be heard in the nation. And they said, well, that, along with that voice comes some uncomfortable fire. That makes us uncomfortable. Moses, you go up to the mountain of fire and we'll stay down here and you just tell us the things we need to hear. The problem is, is that they never believed anything he told them. So they put themselves in an untenable situation and they never aligned themselves with the cornerstone. You know, and so they never trusted in God, so they didn't endure the hardships, they just kept looking back to Egypt. What sadness it must have been in the heart of Moses, right? And I'm, I'm sure he was more than a little discouraged at times when he saw his whole crop. You know, it, it would be like a farmer investing everything in a crop and you look out and only the small corner of your field is, is good and the rest is just has gotten a disease and it's rotting and it's all going to be gone. That would have been a tough thing to, to just to, to experience. Now, there was a remnant that would go in, right? Their children would go in, but that must have been so discouraging to look at that and like, Lord, only two people out of all of that generation? Did I do something wrong? No, no. He just had to have an eternal perspective. There was some sadness there. Of course, it's, you know, he had two. He had Caleb and Joshua. Of course, they had to endure a lot of trouble and difficulty because of the rest of them, because of the other people. And because of that, they saw and experienced the anger of the Lord and the judgment of the Lord. And so we read these verses in Psalm, or in, back in Psalm 90 and verse 7, kind of in this light. We are consumed by your anger, by your wrath, we're troubled. I mean, that was literally happening for Moses and Caleb and Joshua. Lord, we're being consumed. Is anything going to be left? You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. All our days are passed away in wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told the days of our years are, are three score years and 10 if by reason of strength, but they're four score years, they're 70 or by reason of strength, 80 years. Yet is there strength and labor and sorrow for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? Even according to your fear, so is your wrath. Here's the paradox of for those who seek to live godly in Christ Jesus. It's as Paul, 
Paul said in, in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Uh, I think that persecution, that, that's open for substitution of an equal synonym, right? trouble, difficulty, you know, all that, all, all of those different synonyms that are found in the Bible. And the troubling thing for us is that those who do not seek the Lord, who resist his ways, for a time they can seem to flourish and do well. And they're just able to go on about their life. But they don't realize how short life is, is that, that those 70, and if by reason of strength, 80 years, are over in a moment. And when they're over, what awaits them is the wrath of God. Because they're full of themselves, full of pride, self-sufficiently worldly wisdom, they perish as the grass. But for those who seek righteousness and seek to align themselves with the word of God, they open themselves for the work of his word. It seems like we can face trouble and difficulty. It's, it's almost like we're, we're facing the fire of his wrath. And we say, Lord, why are we facing this? We were just trying to do what's right in your sight. And I look around and I see other people having it easy. Pastor Bailey said this in his commentary. He said, those whose quest for true holiness and the presence of God himself are well aware that there are continual fires that we must pass through in order to be purified. You know, we're on a journey and a quest for holiness and the presence of God. And that means we cannot avoid the fire the mountain of fire. As Israel was at that mountain, the best thing they could have done was embrace the fire because it would have cleansed them. It would have erased and burned up those things that, would have pre that were preventing them from getting into the land. And it's almost as if the fires and the troubles we pass through in different seasons of our lives, it's like they're a rite of passage in order to cross over the river into the promised land, into what God has for us. It's a pathway we have to walk and experience and at times allow to cleanse things from our spirits, to purify our thoughts and emotions, our desires, so that only what remains is pure. Peter put it this way, 1 Peter 4.12 said, Beloved, don't think it a strange thing concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as, as some strange thing is happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, you will be glad with exceeding joy. The promise is not just the joy of the Lord, but exceeding, overflowing, abundant joy. But Peter also is trying to give us that perspective that we shouldn't think the fiery trials a strange thing, but instead we should expect them and as much as we can in our spirits embrace them with a perspective of joy because something eternal is happening. We're entering into something eternal 
And when our eyes are opened in eternity, we are going to jump for joy and thank ourselves <laughs> that, that we held on, that we endured, that we you know, trusted in God, that we overcame and we embraced what God, you know, and, and endured what, what he was taking us through because something good was done. And so, you know, with that in mind, Moses says that the goal of our life should be to do the following. Psalm 90, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we would apply our hearts unto wisdom. That's the main theme, really, of this psalm, that sense, or the main verse, you could say. You know, many have made their life's pursuit to obtain things like money or power or fame or relationships or fulfillment in some earthly way. But the scripture is clear that the most valuable thing we can obtain in life and therefore in eternity is wisdom. You know, David told his son Solomon, Proverbs 4, 7, he said, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all you're getting, also get understanding. Exalt her, she shall promote thee bring and bring you to honor when you embrace her, she shall give to your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory, shall she deliver to thee. And so the way of wisdom is the pathway to eventual promotion and honor and receiving an ornament of grace, a crown of glory. And Moses realized that to obtain wisdom, it requires a life dedicated to that pursuit set on that pathway of pursuing wisdom. You know, the temptation is in life is to say, well, one day I'm really going to give myself to eternal things. Right? I know there's going to come a day I'm just going to go all out. You know, I'm definitely going to put God first someday. But the, the warning is, right, we might even make it eternally to heaven which is not guaranteed, by the way, because we don't know what day the Lord's coming for us, and hopefully we're in good standing with him. But even more than that is that even if we make it, we will have missed out on the opportunity of obtaining the treasure that he wants us to have, that treasure that's worth more than gold or silver. You know, wisdom... Uh, that word in the Hebrew basically means to be skillful, which is kind of interesting. The greatest thing in life, the greatest treasure is to be skillful, is what God is saying. Right? But I, I think what he's saying is he wants to give us the treasure of living the Christian life skillfully in a way where we walk, where we're always take, making the right step avoiding the traps of the enemy, walking in ways where we will increase, where we will come to know God in new ways. God wants to lead us in the way of wisdom, where we learn to hear his voice. And even when we're walking in darkness, that we, we've learned to trust in God. And in doing so, we obtain the treasures of darkness, as it says in Isaiah. And that was the cry of Moses. Moses said, Lord, teach, teach us to number our days, to recognize the limited opportunities that we have in life 
and not let them pass us by so that we would apply our hearts to obtaining wisdom, to live skillfully and obtain the treasure of knowing him. Last few verses of the psalm here. Verse 14. Oh, satisfy us early with your mercy. You know, Moses is going to close out this psalm with the thought of true satisfaction. What will make us satisfied for all eternity? Satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein you have afflicted us and the years where we have seen evil and trouble. But let your work appear unto your servants and your glory unto their children. And so Moses was willing to pass through affliction and hardships and testing the wilderness experience because in that he had a hope that he would one day he would be satisfied with the mercy of God. There were days of affliction. There were days of trouble. Uh, days of just having to endure and hold on, of crying out for wisdom, Lord, what's the right way to go? But in that, it was like walking in the way of wisdom and choosing God's ways was like planting seeds. And, and what would grow up would bear fruit for all eternity. That's really what wisdom is. Wisdom is walking in a way where we're planting and we reap in eternity. And what a joyful harvest it will be for all eternity. The final verse, verse 17. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands, establish thou it. That's a good summary of it all. The true goal in the life of a believer is to become beautiful in God's sight. A work of beauty. You know, there is a beauty in putting on the garments of salvation, but there's a beauty that can only come in this life where, where we choose each day to take up our cross and follow him, where we choose to seek wisdom and to live life skillfully as we hear the voice of God, we read his word, and we go in the way we know he's telling us to go. That means a lot of times of crying out, Lord, lead me. Lord, keep me. Lord, preserve me. But that means we're seeking for the Lord as our hidden treasure. Now, as it says in Proverbs 2, it says, 3 through 5, it says, and then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And so, Moses and his wonderful psalm here, he presents a lot of concepts to us, but that he has a, a plan and he has a pathway for us that's glorious. There's some challenges, there's some difficulties and endurance, but it's really one of hope. It's a message of a wonderful eternity, and that's the perspective he wants to give to us of eternity. And the thing that really jumped out to me is, you know, I, I realize we had that word for the new year of the watchman waiting for the morning. But I just didn't think about the Lord's there right with us 
he has that same place, that position. He's the watchman, and he's looking for the, the coming, the rising of the sun as much as we are. Even, and he is the sun, but he's waiting, and he's enduring, and he has an expectation. And that's where we can be as well. And in that, we're waiting for the dawn. And, and so in doing so, let's commit ourselves to wisdom, to numbering our days and not missing out on the opportunities we have to obtain wisdom, to live skillfully through his voice and his word. And so let's place our trust, place our hold upon the one who is wisdom, that he'll hold us, he'll lead us in the right way. And we can trust in him. Amen. Lord, we just thank you for the power of your word. Lord, we just look to you. Lord, you have declared you are wisdom. Lord, and we just pray that you would keep us in your pathway. Lord, give us the perspective. Lord, we understand it in our minds. But Lord, we pray that we would have this perspective of eternity. Lord, just seared into our hearts into our spirits, oh God, that, Lord, we will live according to that thought of eternity, Lord, and that we would have a good harvest as we walk according to wisdom. Oh, Lord, we just cry out to you for grace, for strength, Lord, to walk in your way, Lord, to cry out for wisdom and to walk skillfully before you. And Lord, that we would endure to the end, oh Lord, that we would sit with you in heavenly places, Lord, we just thank you for that. We love you. We trust in you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.